So, this morning, we are going to be in Luke chapter 2. We're going to read 10 verses, Luke 22 through 32. We're going to pick out a few things to really focus on this morning. And, um, and hopefully get to, to see something that I had kind of gone past fast most of my life. And so I'll start reading that, Luke chapter 2, verse 22 through 32. And when the time came for purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the wound shall be called holy to the Lord. And to, sacrifice, to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he would see the Lord's Christ. And he, came into the temp- and he came through the Spirit into the temple, and his parents brought in the child Jesus to him according to the custom of the law. And he took him in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now I am letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, and for your glory to your people. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this scripture and a chance to read it, study it today. I pray that your presence would be felt, that your spirit would be upon each of us as we go into this scripture and prayerfully, Lord, you reveal something to us that we maybe have not seen before and that that impact would so richly touch our hearts, God, that we would be even more focused on how we may serve you. Bless this time that we have together. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. This is a bit of a personal sermon today. I mean, all sermons are personal to the pastor, but today it, it strikes a little bit of a different chord. Um, the name of the sermon is The Signal Fire, and, and I'll come to, to a little bit of the context, but I want to kind of set the stage for you. When you, when you kind of just do a random sermon, you, know, you step in for one week to preach, it's, you always have to kind of, how do you get where you're going to go? You know, what are you going to preach on? You know, you don't just, you know, flip the Bible open, close your eyes and do that. You don't do that. You know, you kind of, it, it has to be brought to you. You know, God has to really lay something on your heart. And, and I had a situation that I'm going to talk about a little bit later that God brought me to this verse and, and how it would impact my life. And so I'm telling you that because I have mentally gone through this sermon multiple times. I don't, I don't ever preach them out loud in my office or anything. I don't do that. Um, but I do mentally kind of rehearse them, and I've yet to go through a mental rehearsing without tearing up. So I'm not a public crier, but I'll be honest, when we open up the Word of God, I'll public cry all day. I'm not ashamed of it because it's the movement of the Word of God in our hearts. So I am warning you that I am prepared because I got my vest on, and I'm ready to go. So what is a signal fire? Well, it's simple. It's a fire that's set as a signal. <laughs> you know, it's self-explanatory. It's right there in the, uh, in, in the words. And I kind of didn't want to make this reference, but, you know, for the sake of Pastor Andy and a few others, first thing that comes to mind is Lord of the Rings, when they set that fire and it does all that thing and the armies come. And that is the extent of knowledge I have on that. 
my wife, father-in-law, and a lot of, a lot of you may be familiar with the movie, but it, it sets a point of hope, of a, of a needing help. And I want us to kind of put that in the back of your mind as we progress through this sermon, because there's a reason that we have, I have this name for this title and what a signifier actually does. I'm trying something different today that I've never actually done in a sermon before, which I'm, we're going to look at the four W's plus the H of this text. Never done that. Don't even really like doing it that way. It's not kind of my style to do that. But for today, it seemed very appropriate when looking at this passage. So let's, let's have a moment of honesty. Who really, really, really knew this story or who Simeon is? couple, a few of you, and plus there's a bunch of you that just won't answer no matter what I say. I'm one of those two that I'm just not going to answer because, yeah, I'm just, I'm just not going to be involved in raising my hand. Simeon, to me, this, this, these 10 verses get looked over so quickly. You know, as, as we come into Christmas, we're excited about baby Jesus. We want to get him in the cradle, and then right after Christmas, like this song said, we want to get him to the cross. You know, there's a, there's a quick movement in our church history on how we handle the life of Jesus, birth and death, and we tend to really hone in on a couple things at birth and a couple things at death. And so we were in staff meeting this week, or last week rather, and we were reading this, and it just really started resonating with me. You know, this guy, Simeon, what, a, what an awesome thing to be this man, to know that he would get to see the coming Messiah, to know that God had, the Spirit was upon him. And there is so much. I'm going to tell you, in those ten verses is at least five different sermons. Now, I'm not going to do five today. I'm going to do the one. But I have to really follow my notes or else I will get sidetracked because there's so much information in those ten verses. So let's start with these W's. Who is waiting for the consolation or the comfort, comforting of Israel? That's Simeon. He's waiting for it. It's right here in the text. He's been waiting for it. If you remember up until this point, we've had a lot of years that they is referred to as the silent years, you know, in Scripture. It's not that God was completely silent. It's that we don't see books being written down. We do know that there were prophets. We do know there were um, many people that were proclaiming the word of God. So God isn't silent, but... For sake of argument, it's known as the silent years. So Simeon is in prayer waiting for the day of comfort to come to Israel. I don't know if you've ever really thought about what that means. Have you? I, I don't sit around thinking about this stuff. Sometimes I, you hit, I hit a bump in the road and I stop. And I'm like, I'm not moving past that one point because it seems so small. It, it seems like such a small thing. You know, he's waiting on the, the consolation of Israel. And then when you start to kind of play back the history of Israel and you realize there's been exile after exile, burning after burning, destruction after destruction, it makes sense that in the Jewish world they sit and they wait for the comforting of Israel. Let me make it personal. Are you waiting for the comforting of 2021 that you hope is going to happen? I am. I'm just about sick of all this. You know, I've got family members that I did not see over Christmas that have just decided it's done, it's over with, and I'm not doing this anymore. And I've told them on the phone, I don't think it works that way. But 
They are longing for the comforting of just walking around in public and not feeling like all the eyes are on you. And we've only been dealing with this like 10 months. Can you imagine the history of Israel that Simeon is reflecting on, desiring the comfort for Israel, the time when the Messiah would come and bring a healing to God's people, and God's people would repent and turn back to him. I mean, we long for that. We had a month of prayer in, was it November, end of October, November, we go out weekly and, and people in our community walk and pray and we desire longing and comforting before the Lord. And we've suffered very little in our lifetimes in our country. Don't get me wrong. There's been suffering. Some of you have dealt with some terrible things. But globally speaking, it's not so bad. I think we're doing okay. And so Simeon is longing for this comforting. The second is the What? What is Simeon filled with? He's filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, that's another sermon, and I have, I'm going to touch it, but I'm not going to go all over it. A lot of people like to think in terms of the fulfillment of the Spirit coming upon us, they immediately go to the book of Acts, they go to Pentecost, and that's the starting point. You've got to back up all the way to Genesis, because that, the Holy Spirit didn't just like pop up at Pentecost in an Acts, and that's the first time. No, we see right here, and it's an interesting note, because when I think, when I think Pentecost, I think, oh, okay, Jew and Gentile. Well, this is a Jewish man filled with the Spirit before Pentecost at the birth of Christ who was promised before the birth of Christ through the Spirit that he would see the coming Messiah. This is a big, 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 one more big, big theological point in scripture that we just blow past. I, when I say we, I mean I. It's just easier for me to say we. I blow past really quickly because I want to get to the Pentecost, you know, spirit. But we see that even here, God's work in our lives through the spirit is very, very complete. And God is very much making movement in the way of the spirit. When is this event Occurring. So we got the who, we got the what, now we're at the when. When is this event occurring? And it's right there in verse, I believe it is 21. Yeah, after the end of eight days. I'm not saying it's on the eighth day because that's not exactly correct. If you go and read Leviticus 12, you can read all about that. You'll even find some fascinating information about why the offering was offered that Mary and Joseph were going to offer. And again, that's another sermon. So you can start writing these down if you want to. If you ever need sermon points, I'm giving you some sermon topics right now because there's so many. But we see Mary and Joseph coming to a point where they're, they're recognizing, the, not coming to a point, they're recognizing the law. So when is this event happening in accordance with the law is when it's happening as found in Leviticus chapter 12. Where is this occurring? This is very, very important. The temple in Jerusalem. Now, a lot of you in here have had children, right? I'm going to require some noise back just to thank you a little bit. I, I will do the steward, and I'll do the, the hand motions. You've got to talk back with me a little bit because it's really hot up here, 
I'm about to come out of this jacket, and I just need to know you're still out here with me. So this is important because if you've had children, you ever traveled with a child? It's terrible. There is nothing worse than traveling with a child, not because the child is bad, but because expectations as parents are unreasonable, right? You want your kid to sit there, be quiet, travel without having any knowledge of how to speak the language I'm speaking to you, and just be quiet and accept that you're going somewhere new. That is unreasonable on us as parents. I have been there. I have fought that. I will even tell you, in traveling with two young kids, two and three, on an airplane, we deprive our children of TV. So when they get on an airplane to go overseas, they watch 15 straight hours of cartoons because that's the only time they get them because that worked. Well, Jesus now has to travel from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. That's assuming that they didn't go anywhere in between. Now, Bethlehem to Jerusalem is not that far. That's really only about 10 miles at the most. I mean, it's really kind of just out of the hill in Bethlehem or out of the valley up to the hill of Jerusalem. But even if it's just 10 miles, even if it's just 5 miles, well, that ain't 5 miles by car. And that ain't 5 miles by car seat camel either. That's likely 5 walking miles or 5 miles with a donkey. I let... Annabelle rode a donkey once when she was four years old in Nazareth, and she only rode that thing from like here to that wall back there. It was terrible. She was so scared. Like she wanted me with her, you know, that whole time, stay with me. And I just can't imagine what it is as a parent to have to travel with a newborn on top of you just gave birth, so that's not great. You know, as, as a lady, you're dealing with some stuff, uh, some pain, and you've got to now travel as is the custom with a newborn. I'm pointing this out because it's so easy to strip real life out of the Bible. Jesus cried. He didn't say so in the scriptures, but it says he was a human, and if he came in the flesh, he cried. You know, I mean, he's a real baby. This is real life. This isn't like Jesus was this miraculous. If Jesus would have been this miraculous child that did everything, you know, she was a miraculous child, but if he would have never, like, did the normal whining, crying, fussing, pooping, peeing, can you imagine what it would have been like to be any of the brothers of Jesus? Their mom and dad would have hated him. It's like, why can't you be like Jesus? You know, he never did any of these things. He never cried. He always took his bottle. He never did anything wrong, you know, which he didn't do anything sinful, to be clear, but he was a normal baby, and so it's very important that we keep the humanity in the scriptures, that this is real life. And an interesting note is he was coming to the temple in Jerusalem. Right now, we know this temple's only got a few more years to stand, about 70, I believe it is. But something very important is represented in that temple, right? The holiness of God, the holy of holies. It's, a very, it's the most important place. It's in the center of the world and the most important place in the world at this moment. And Jesus is coming there, this event, this obeying the law of, for Mary and Joseph is coming to a point here in the temple in Jerusalem. And how is this consolation going to occur? That's the last one is the how. How is this consolation going to occur that Simeon has been waiting on? It's going to occur through Jesus. Now, I've likely not shared with you anything new that you didn't know, but I wanted to set the stage as we start to systematically go through the verses for you to understand what Simeon is praying for, why Simeon is praying for this, who is it coming through, 
and when and where is this event occurring. They shape the post-birth of Jesus, knowing this small narrative right here, because, man, it's, again, and listen to that song. We love Jesus in the manger. We, we love that. We love Jesus on the cross. Do you know, I've actually, that's not true. I was going to say I've never met a person that didn't agree on one of the two of those. I have met people that flat out denied that Jesus ever existed. Honestly, that's just the most ridiculous thing in the history of ridiculousness, because it's the most well-documented historical fact that a man named Jesus lived. Now, people can disagree on the circumstance around that, but you can't, in any real historical knowledge, deny that this man lived. So what's interesting is all but those few skeptics will agree that either Jesus came in this world via a cradle or went out of this world on a cross. They don't have to believe anything in the middle, but they will believe that. But it's that middle narrative that shapes who we are as Christians, right? I mean, I don't know about you. I have a friend that I met years ago, and he once told me uh, he, he's not a Christian, and, and we were chatting, and I, I, he said something about Jesus, and I said, well, why do you believe that about Jesus? He said, well, because I'm supposed to. And I'm like, well, I don't believe things because I'm supposed to. He goes, well, why wouldn't you? If Jesus said it, it's got to be true. I'm like, yes, if Jesus said it, it has to be true, but someone has to write it down, and I have to see where it's true. I can't just, you can't just tell me Jesus said X, Y, Z, and I believe that. It's got to be in the scriptures. It's got to be in the gospels. It's got to flow through the epistles. It has to backdate into Old Testament. There has to be this lengthy information that supports the claims of Jesus for Jesus to fulfill the requirements of Messiah. And he just couldn't get past that. He's like, I, I don't know. And I'm like, well, maybe you're more of a Christian than I am, and you don't know it yet. And, um, but anyway, so an interesting note right here is the narrative in between. The, the cradle and the cross is what we want to deal with. So in verse 22 through 24, I'm going to read that for you again. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written, in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the wound shall be called holy to the Lord. So that word brought up to the temple in Jerusalem. Jerusalem sits on a hill, just so you know. It's not a magnificent hill. I think we like to think of it in terms of this great, glorious thing that you can see from afar. It's the hill. It's Zion. It's the beacon of the world. Spiritually, all those things are correct. Physically, as mountain folk, you look at it and go, meh. It's there. It's a hill. You know, you could sled down it, but it's not anything to get, like, super excited about. It's, it, so when it's going up, it's going up a hill. It's not on top of this mountain. I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of, like, Mount Olympus or not. Any, anyone ever seen a picture? It's, it's remarkable. I've been to it. And when you look up there, you're like, man, I see why ancient man thought there was gods up there. Like, it's, it's big. There's this funnel in the middle of it. It, like, looks impressive. But then you get to Zion, you get to the hill of God, and you go, I know folks from up north that wouldn't ski down that. You know, it's like it's not that big a deal, but it is a big deal as it would be, go on to be a beacon to the world. But verse 22 through 24, they, Mary and Joseph going up to the temple because they're obeying the law. 
Now, this is really important because we think of in Jesus, we think about Jesus who's coming to reshape the law. He's not going to change the law. He's fulfilling the law, right? Right, right. Jesus is fulfilling the law. But what's interesting to note is from birth, Jesus was upholding the law. That's very important as we see the fulfillment of this coming Messiah. Nothing can be lost in Jesus' deity, right? He has to follow the Masonic flow that is promised in the text, or else we got a big problem. If Jesus does not follow Masonic flow, then we don't have a savior. We have an imposter. And so Jesus, from birth, mother and father are raising him in the Jewish tradition. That is so important to see that as they are starting to shape Jesus not into who he would become, because that's inaccurate, Jesus would already be that, but to show the law present, to show the witness to the Jewish people around him that he is, in fact, Jewish. In verse 25 and 26, let me get to verse 25 here in 26. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous, devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, and he had revealed to him, and it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Christ. A Jewish man promised to see the Messiah by the Holy Spirit. Again, whole brand new sermon on that. But I want I'm gonna go through this piece by piece because I want you to start packing this. This is a the outline of a puzzle here that you've got to get together. It's very important that we see Jesus being raised in obedience with the law. We see a man. See, as, as Gentiles, and I'm going to use the word Gentile a lot coming up here in about three minutes. As Gentiles, it's easy for us to frame work around Jesus because, well, you know, as Paul would go on to talk about the inclusion of Gentiles, Peter as well. But for a Jewish man to be promised through the Holy Spirit that the coming Messiah he would see before he died and then to see him as a fulfillment of that promise is a great big deal, not a small thing that we go past quickly. And so Simeon is going to see that. And he came into the spirit into the temple, and when his parents brought in the child Jesus to him, according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, have you ever seen a child and just went, wow, that child's going to be something one day? I haven't. I've got kids. I've looked at them and like, wow, they're beautiful, or wow, they're breathtaking. And uh, that's a Seinfeld reference. And I've, I've looked at kids and thought a lot of things, but I've never looked at a kid and blessed God and said, my eyes have seen Simeon did not know who this Messiah was going to be. He didn't get a description, look for Mary, kind of young, Joseph, not the dad, so he might look a little sheepish, going to be a little baby, first baby boy, she's likely in white and blue, he's likely got the head wrap with the beard. No description. Where we got those descriptions of Mary and Joseph from, I'll never know, but that's what it is. There's no description, okay? But that little child, imagine how many how many people are being, kids are being brought into that temple? It's not like one a year. You know, people are having babies. It's, matter of fact, it's, 
wasn't going to say that, but I'll say it. It's the pastime. You're having babies, okay? It's, you're growing as a nation. You're having babies. This is not abnormal for Simeon to get to see a child come in to be dedicated to the Lord. But when he sees this baby, he raises his voice to the Lord and blesses God and goes on to say, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your will, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being a bystander in the temple, and you kind of you see the baby, you're admiring the baby. There's the baby. They're coming in with mom and dad. Priest comes in, is going to do his thing, and all of a sudden, you hear the priest go, "My eyes have now seen your salvation." What would you even do as a bystander? I mean, me, I'm gonna I'm gonna eavesdrop. You know, I'm gonna keep listening. Like, who is this salvation and this little child that this man is speaking of? Because Simeon would have been highly regarded. There's a whole history, back history on Simeon that's really very good as well. It's worth looking into on on, um, your personal study time. And then he says that you have prepared in the presence of all people a light of revelation to the Gentiles and a glory for your people Israel. Believe it or not, all that's been set up to this point. I haven't even started the sermon yet. Don't worry, it's going to go a lot quicker than all that. I just wanted to give you, again, this framework what does this all mean? What, why is Simeon making this very psalm-like poem prayer to the Lord for? I want to tell you a story. A few of you, few of you already know this story. I'm going to spare you the depth of details because it's not relevant. But uh, recently I was visiting family in Greenville, South Carolina. And we were walking around one evening. It was my wife's birthday. And downtown Greenville... And there was there's street preaching in Greenville. Y'all ever seen this? Y'all y'all have seen street preaching? It's awkward. You know, sometimes it's really I've I've heard really great preachers. Sometimes it's like, you know, I just feel like you're just yelling at me, you know, for no real reason. Like I don't know why you're yelling at me. And I walk past this group, and I'm not gonna identify the group with you. If you want to know, come see me later. But this group is identified as a hate group by South Carolina. And I'm usually somewhat good at just ignoring ridiculous things you know i mean i can usually kind of mind my own business walk past it and be done well i walked past and i I ignored them the first time i went past i did really good and then it was time to go back past them again and i did really well i got them at about right here as i was walking by and i heard them say that's right you gentiles will be serving us you'll be our slaves when jesus comes back to liberate us and you'll be the ones that paid and I made it at about that point, and I just kind of spun around and, and went back. And I very politely, because if you should not be anything in this world, you should always be polite. Uh, you'll go more, go further in life with politeness than anything else. And I tried to just talk with them. They would not talk to me. They did not like anything about me. Matter of fact, they wouldn't even look at me, which if you figure out who this group is, you'll know that's kind of their MO is they're not going to look at me. And they are just saying some crazy stuff. And so I very politely asked them, what book are you reading from? Of course, they ignored me. They did that about three times. And it ended with me lightly walking away, but a little bit louder proclaiming, no one can take you serious if we don't know what you're reading from, because you need to cite your source. It's a big thing in my life, cite your source. Anybody can say anything. And so one of the things that they were proclaiming was that God doesn't love Gentiles. God only loves his people. 
his people, those coming out of the 12 tribes of Israel. Anyone else? God created you for your damnation. Now, I will share something very raw with you that I don't really particularly want to share, but I think it's important that you know this. I don't really struggle in my faith, but I have hiccups like everybody else. And it's not a hiccup of, oh, I don't believe. It's a hiccup of, can it all be right? Can it all be true? Can all this book be so well preserved? Am I read it right? There's Hebrew words I don't know in here. There's things that we read and we go, Lord, Isaiah, what are you talking about? You know, we kind of know. You change, read the book of Isaiah. If you've never had this moment happen in your life, go read three chapters out of Isaiah out loud in front of a mirror. Because it goes from Isaiah talking to God talking to him talking about Israel to him talking about Jesus back to him talking about a nation. Then there's this other nation. It's really confusing and it's, it's fun. Like I enjoy this. But I'm telling you this because when I heard those guys use the Bible the way they did, I had a hiccup. And that hiccup was how are they distorting God's word so deeply and doing such a good job? Like they were good. I'm going to tell you, I would bet somebody else's bottom nickel that they quite, they quote the Bible better than most anybody in this room. And that's not me taking a shot at you. That's me giving credit to them that they are very, very good. And when I say hiccup, it was a, I come home and I, I go, okay, here are the things I know. I know these verses and how these verses support or argue against what they say. So I started research. And I will not, I'm not joking you when I tell you it was about 43 hours of research on this group. I couldn't let it go because they had caused a question in my mind, not a question of faith, not a question of, you know, do I believe in Jesus, but a question of how are they doing what they're doing. And it took some time for me to bring some reconciliation to this whole Gentiles aren't included. And I hope one day you walk past this group and you hear them and you feel I don't want you to feel the way I felt, but I want you to feel what it's like to be challenged because we should be challenged in our faith. And as I was sitting in my office right there through that window, very upset, frustrated. How are they distorting the word of God? How have hate groups over the years manipulated God's word? I, I, I thought of a song. I love music. I'm a music guy. Uh, and it's, it's a band that I'm sure... I'm the only one in here that's listened to. It's not a Christian band. They're called Kill Switch Engage. The, the lead singer is a Christian, and it's a phenomenal band. But in this song, it says, No more following an endless maze. Separation will define a new way. What was broken and what's led us all astray. The chosen are renewed in amnesty. We are given to fight. There's hope just in sight. The signal fire is a light. That might not mean much to you, but it broke me in half when I thought about Christ as a signal light. And all of a sudden, it started flooding in. The verses started coming back to me. I've struggled for 43 hours with this ridiculous group of godless no one in Greenville, South Carolina, of all the cities and states in this world. That's my point of struggle. And it starts to flood in. Christ is the light, and I know that, but it's like now I've got to find it. I'm, thumbing, I'm literally nearly ripping pages through my Bible looking, and I hit this verse, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, 
and me being me, I'm like, okay, God, you said it in the New Testament, back it up in the Old Testament. And I start thumbing back through the Old Testament, and I hit Isaiah 49.6 and realize Simeon is quoting Isaiah 49.6, that there would be a Messiah that would come, that would be a light of revelation to the Gentiles, that we are not people of promise. If you're a Gentile in this room, we are not the promised Hebrew people, okay? We are distant from God in way of his promised people. But God had a plan. God had a graphing in. What this hate group likes to argue is that you will never be grafted in. And I say that is ridiculous. And let me name a few. How about Rahab? How about Ruth? How about Hagar? How about the fact that you say, well, that's all women. Okay, Nineveh. An entire city that Jonah threw a fit on a hill because God wouldn't kill them was grafted in to the kingdom of God because God had a plan for us who are not a people to become a people. And that promise for us as Gentiles, while there from the beginning, through the Zion hymns and psalm, we see it. But for us, we step back and we saw a light that would be the birth of Christ. And that wasn't a signal fire signaling that Christ needed hope. That was a signal fire for us going, hope has arrived. We are in. It's now us. We now can look and go, we are rescued. If you've ever been lost in the woods and you see a light after hours of wandering around, you can't possibly know how hope is restored in you to literally, and I'm talking from someone who's been lost in Colorado in the woods, to seeing a light in the darkness and realizing I'm not going to die tonight. This is a spiritual light in our life through the person of Jesus, through a star that would shine away, Jesus being the light of revelation, a light into the world. Go read the entire book of John and you're going to see it's riddled with that one word, light. And that our hope and salvation promised in Isaiah, uttered from the lips of Simeon, laid in such a small package, would be our salvation. And when I hit this point, I'm in. Christ loved me. God had a plan for me. I know these things. You know these things. This is not new. Unless this, this is your very few times in church. And if it is, God bless you for being here. We love you and hope you come back and continue to come back. But if you're like me who grew up in church, this is not new information. What is new is me realizing this little bit of a theological hiccup that I hit with a group that doesn't mean anything is how so many people feel that they're separated from Christ because of their sin. While I felt this group telling me, you're a Gentile, you're not included, God hates you, you realize so many of us sit in these pews, neighbors, friends, family members, going, God hates me, why would God forgive me? And I think the biggest one of the biggest issues we hit in church today is we get the gospel, but we don't accept the gospel. You've been baptized, you believe, but I've heard so many Christians say, but how could God love me? I love him, how could he love me? And it's very simple, a light 
to the Gentiles. He loved you to a point of dying for you. You know that. But what we have to do as brothers and sisters is be in each other's business and go, are you truly accepting the light that is Christ? Are you truly there and accept the love, the forgiveness? You can't out Jesus' ability to forgive you. And you can write that down. It can't be done. There is one sin that's listed that is unforgivable. And with that one, there's a lot to talk about around that. And that's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And I'd love to have that conversation with you. Not right now. But you can't out Jesus' ability to forgive you unless you will not repent, turn, and give your life to Christ. It's that simple. A light of revelation to the Gentiles. You are promised as children of a new promise. A spiritual promise. You are grafted into the kingdom of God by that child himself that would die for you. As long as you accept willfully, I am a sinner. And plea, God I love you. Maybe I've loved you my whole life. But there has been a gap between you and I, Father. Whether I created it or whether it's just part of my makeup that I feel distant from people, there's a gap between us, God. And I want you. I want to fall before you and truly fall before Christ. What will you do today? We live it, but do we talk about it? Do we check on our, I'm willing to bet you ask your friends and family how they're doing. But do you ask them where they're at spiritually? Are you struggling? Do you know you're forgiven if you cling to Christ? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the holiness of your scriptures. For Luke 22 through 32 that we studied this morning, God. That Simeon would proclaim, my eyes have seen your salvation a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory to your people Israel. Father, imprint it upon our heart that whenever we may struggle, we reflect on these passages and know that, Father, you've brought light into our life. Bless us to actually go forward and take that light with us. Challenge us to talk to friends and neighbors and ask them, have they seen the signal fire of salvation? And if not, can we show it to them? And we pray this in your holy name, Jesus. Amen.